Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary, Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include Debt in the Nation, my interview with Stavis Costa Ligris on remote online notarization and industry adoption digital trends, and the latest housing data. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit richiemay.com. Will lenders carefully watch their locks, funding volume and margins, and what they're worth? Individuals are doing the same thing. Loan officers from coast to coast tell me the same thing. With inflation continuing to outpace consumers' wage increases, their levels of debt are rising. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, total U.S. household debt, including mortgages, credit cards, car loans, and student debt, rose to $17.05 trillion dollars with balances standing $2.9 trillion higher than at the end of 2019 before the pandemic. Fortunately, as an industry, we did a great job financing and refinancing millions of borrowers into great rates. Bank-owned lenders know that recent bank failures have put pressure on regulators to tighten capital and risk management requirements. However, economists and analysts know that in this economic and credit climate, such measures could exacerbate issues already straining the system. Bringing down inflation is still job number one in the Fed's mind. As if to head off any future discussion, J.P. Morgan Chase is unlikely to acquire other troubled banks after taking over First Republic Bank, CEO Jamie Dimon has told shareholders. Dimon has also said risks that prompted three bank failures this year could not have been prevented by regulators, and he's reiterated his faith in the soundness of the banking system. For today's interview, I wanted to bring on Stavis Costa Ligres to talk about remote online notarization and industry adoption of digital trends. He's a lifelong entrepreneur and co-founder of real estate startup Stavi, a platform for connecting mortgage lenders to vendors. Before starting Stavi, Costa founded the Ligres Companies, a collection of professional services, real estate, and consulting firms with offices in Boston, Newton, and Wellesley, Massachusetts, and Ace's title agency a title and settlement firm with operations in New England, New York, and Florida. I want to start by asking you, what is remote online notarization? Some of our listeners might not know what it is. And how widespread is it amongst lenders in the mortgage industry? I know there's there's probably been a lot of recent adoption, but some companies are still behind the eight ball. Remote online notarization is essentially the ability to notarize uh, legally notarize uh, documents uh, remotely. Um, so in a sense, uh, okay, well, the name says that, but what does that exactly mean? So traditionally, notarization has been an act where um, you, know, you meet uh, you meet in front of somebody in the presence of a notary um, that identifies you. Um, and there's various ways that they've identified you historically. Like way back in the day, like Notaries kind of like were, you know, they knew their community. And so they knew you and they're like, oh, look, it's Robbie. Like, I know that I can I can notarize this document because they, they had actual knowledge of you or what we call personal knowledge. Um, remote online notarization allows for a notary to meet with a um, with a signatory or an affiant online. 
uh, and conduct the act of notarization uh, in a digital environment remotely, um, which allows people to be able to, um, you know, sign documents online using e-signature tools and allows the notary to affix their seals and certify the document uh, in a digital format. Um, in terms of, you know, how widespread the adoption is, um, you know, we're still in the very early innings uh, of adoption of remote online authorization for uh, in the mortgage uh, industry. And, and I say that because even things such as e-notes that have been around for a really long time, I think Fannie bought its first e-note 20 years ago. Um, you know, we're still looking at uh, adoption um, compared to paper transactions still being fairly low. Uh, part of it is, as you touched upon, that you know, the legislative environment has changed drastically through COVID. And so we only had a handful, a couple of states before the pandemic that allowed remote online notarization to occur. And now we have over 43, we have 43 states, the District of Columbia, some territories like Guam, and the remaining states um, have either pending legislation um, that, that, is, that is forthcoming. And then we also have a federal bill called the SECURE Act, the Secure Notarization Act that passed the House and now is pending um, for deliberation in the Senate, which would recognize notarization, remote notarization um, across, uh, across the entire country. So we're still in the early innings. I would say, you know, adoption is still very small um, compared to in-person wet, what we call wet notarization, but it's continuing to get more attention and and uh, and gather more and, and get more steam as lenders look for ways to increase efficiency, decrease costs, create a better and different customer experience. It seems like the pandemic certainly was instrumental in kind of ushering the space forward. For lenders that have yet to adopt, you mentioned you know most most of these signings are still wet signings. What's the reluctance? Yeah, I'm not really sure that it's actually reluctance more than it is really understanding, but also it is a regulated space and there's a lot of moving parts and there's so many stakeholders that all that fragmentation that exists with all the stakeholders um, creates uh, creates concerns in terms of the handoff. Like, for example, if I'm a non-bank lender and I'm using a warehouse line and then I'm selling a loan to an investor and then there's going to be another servicer, like, is everyone okay with remote online authorization for this particular transaction um, because it's kind of one of those things where everyone's got to everyone's got to be on board and all in and as standards start to evolve and as it becomes more and more um, more and more common to consider it as uh, as, as an option uh, and all the stakeholders understand it and have guidelines around it it will become easier so I'm not necessarily sure it's completely reluctance more so that it is actual uh, execution and adoption um, by all the various stakeholders. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I just got back from uh, the Alta Advocacy Summit up in Washington, D.C., and you know, talking to a bunch of title and settlement companies. And for some time, lenders were like, oh, we're ready to go all digital and do remote online the e-notes. But the title companies and the settlement agents, they're not ready. And when you talk to title companies and settlement agents, they're like, what are you talking about? We're ready. We're ready to go. Like, we're excited to do it. It's the lenders that are holding us back um, because they're, you know, in some transactions, they're like, yeah, it's okay to do it. But in this one, we're not sure if our investors are okay with it. Um, and so there's um, there's a little bit of um, just maturity that's evolving within the industry to understand that uh, it's not really reluctance. It's more, I think, just understanding how do we make everyone comfortable 
understanding that not only is it an option as a solution that we can offer consumers, but like everything else, it's a choice. You know, there are customers that don't want to do things digitally um, and they would rather, uh, you know, paper out. Um, and that has existed even under the, you know, Uniform Electronic Transactions Act, which is the eSign Act, right? So you always have the right, if you choose to do so as a consumer, to say, no, I don't want to do this digitally. I want to opt out of this eSign envelope and I want to do this on paper. Maybe the natural follow-up question there would be, there's all this finger pointing going on. We're ready. They're holding us back. No, we're ready. They're holding us back. What's it going to take to actually get everybody on the same page or, or things continuing to move, you know, move forward here? Yeah, I love that question. You know, I, I will tell you that I think that ultimately the thing that always moves, uh, uh, that always moves innovation is the, you know, uh, your, your customer. And so what do I mean by that? You know, my customer is financial, my customers are financial institutions, non-bank lenders, uh, title and settlement companies. I sell them software to be able to do transactions online and to do them digitally. Uh, but they have a customer <laughs> and their customer is the consumer. And the more the consumers ask for um, digital tools, the more the consumers sort of press on them for options and, and choices. Um, and certainly with, with what we've seen lately uh, with a macro environment, with rate volatility and the decreased volume in transactions, everyone is fighting for more and more deals and a, and a bigger piece of a smaller pie. And so as a result of that, I think what drives people to consider these are um, you know, what does the customer want? And when, once the customer starts really demanding a better experience or digital experience, you'll start seeing more and more adoption. Um, and we're seeing that. I mean, we, I, I was just, uh, I was just involved in transaction Florida and the buyer is international. And they're like, we don't want to come back to the States to do the closing. And the lender was like, and it was great because I was on a conference call and the lender is telling um, the realtor, well, let's just, you know, use a title company that has remote online organization. That was like music to my ears because back in the day, like 10 years ago, what we would be talking about is getting the lender to approve a power of attorney. And, and so it's, it's becoming more and more common nomenclature and it's a solution that people are talking about. And so realtors and consumers drive a lot of business to, to purchase money lenders. And as soon as realtors and consumers start asking for remote solutions um, and asking for those to be options, you'll see more and more adoption. The more comfortable people get doing them, when they go online and see that it's actually pretty straightforward and easy, has built-in quality control, uh, lenders will start really absorbing the fact that it does create a better transaction, better experience for their customers, but also decreases their costs. Um, and that will start um, that will stop, start picking up more attention. I remember talking to uh, a head of origination at a mortgage company, and, and he was saying, we, we love it for fraud because in terms of if you're a criminal... You're going to show up multiple times on camera and present an ID over and over. Like you're you're setting yourself up for failure there. So, what are the digital security or, or fraud prevention measures that uh, Ron provides? Yeah, it's such a great question. So, uh, you know, my background before I started Stavi, I was a transactional real estate lawyer. So, I've dealt with uh, you know situations where fraud has existed. I've been an expert witness on transactions. Um, and so it's 100% accurate. The reality is that what we do on online is far superior than what happens in person. And so the joke that I like to make when people ask me is, you know, I did transactions for 20 years in person. You come in, hand a driver's license or a passport to us. We take a look at it. Possession was everything. Like if you had a, a license or an ID, that's all you needed for us to be able to, uh, to notarize you. 
Um, sure, we looked at it, we made sure it wasn't expired, but the reality is like nobody ever takes a government issued ID, looks at it, looks at the person and says, wow, the last few years haven't been good to you. Like you should hit the gym. Like what is going on? Like we just don't do that. That's just, that's the reality of it. Um, in the digital world, you know, you take a picture of your ID front and back. We're looking at the holograms. We're looking at the fonts. We're analyzing the barcode in the back, comparing it to the front. Uh, notaries and real estate attorneys and title agents and settlement agents, we're not trained um, to, to detect these types of things on, uh, on documents. And, uh, you know, I, I was at MBA National and I went to a bar in Nashville. And there's, there's more scrutiny over my driver's license to get into a bar than there is in personalization. They read the barcode, they scan the thing, it says that I'm, you know, over the age of 21, all that stuff. Like, and so the reality is that on online, uh, on, uh, on the online uh, requirements, we do credential analysis on the, on the ID. We administer these knowledge-based questions in most cases. Most states um, um, use knowledge-based questions as, uh, as the secondary means of authentication. You've seen these before, right? These are the questions that pull off of uh, public data sources. So it'll say like, you know, uh, which one of these addresses did you live in? Who had the lease on your on your car? Um, and so that solves for the sort of you know something you have and something you know. So the something you have is the ID. Um, the something you know is uh, these questions. Uh, biometrics um, and other tools, all other fraud detection tools are starting to creep into transactions now. We're, we're exploring that at Stavi and how we can create a better, more seamless experience. Some states' remote notary laws have a little bit more of a uh, they've opened the aperture in terms of the types of tools you can use. Others are more prescriptive, and they tell you you got to use credential analysis and knowledge-based questions. Um, but as uh, as the industry evolves, we'll see more and more innovation. I think that occurs on on the identity side. Uh, everyone loves to talk about sort of like the consumer being the bad actor, or excuse me, the the bad actor pretending to be the consumer. But in a paper world, you know, thirty forty dollars, and you can go and make a stamp purporting to be a notary. And you can pretend to be a notary as a bad actor and, and, and sign a document and also notarize it, pretending you're somebody else. When you go to a recording counter, nobody validates whether the stamp and the name of the person is who they say they are. Uh, with remote online notarization, there's a certificate, an X509 certificate, a, certi a, a you know, crypto cryptographic certificate associated with each notary. There's an audit trail. We know who touched what, when, where. And so it's just a much more robust um, uh, infrastructure that allows for not only more security in the authentication piece, but an audit trail um, that exists with a video recording of the transaction and um, and a lot more tools available that if something does go wrong or there was purported or attempted fraud, um, there's more information to be able to dissect the transaction. I want to get to what you're working on at Stabby in, in one minute here, but before we get there, what other kind of e-closing solutions are there or, or technology that exists that help enable fully remote or, or hybrid closings? I'm a little in the dark on it myself. Yeah. So, you know, remote transactions require a whole host of things, right? And so uh, one of the more common transactions that we've seen over the last couple of years is what the industry calls a hybrid transaction, where a portion of it is done online and the other portion of it is done in person. And certainly in states where remote online notarization isn't available, it's really the only option um, where you would sign um, sign a bunch of your documents online, certainly the ones that don't require notarization. But others, you know, other sort of, you know, permeations of, uh, of the building blocks for fully digital are e-notes. So this is replacing the promissory note that has always been on paper. A promissory note is a very specific uh, type of instrument 
It's regulated by the Uniform Commercial Code. It's a negotiable instrument, kind of like a check. And so an original actually means something. E-notes take that framework and remove the paper requirement and move it into a structured data um, format. So E-notes are really important in real estate transactions because that is the document that uh, that confirms your um, your requirement to uh, your obligation to repay a debt. Um, the identity tools are obviously really important. The e-sign tools are really important. The remote online notary workflows are important. Um, there's another version of digital digitization in the space. It's not necessarily remote, but uh, you may have heard of IPEN. Uh, so this is in-person electronic notarization, IPEN. And this is essentially where you would walk into your title company's office or law firm's office, and instead of signing a stack of papers, you do all those signatures on a tablet. And so it's in-person, but there is no paper. And so you're using your fingers as a stylus or you're creating a digital signature and applying it to the, the various documents uh, or, or the various, uh, um, the, the, the various uh, pages uh, on there. And so that, that is sort of the, the version that, that can be used in states where remote online organization doesn't exist or in instances where you want to go digital for the back end and the QC and the cost savings and the chain of custody of the documents, but a consumer may not want to do it fully online. Um, and so, and, and now we're seeing, you know, obviously there's a lot of different providers that provide tools for, for the space, you know, Stabby being one of them and others that, um, that provide remote online notarization tools, both for mortgage and for other types of transactions. I might've done you a disservice here by talking so much about remote online notarization when Stabby itself <laughs> is, is, you know, you're, you're going through the whole mortgage process, uh, to give homeowners more digital options, you know, e-closing digital servicing. You take a minute to talk about just what you're working on over at Stabby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's that's it's fine. I mean, listen, you know, remote online organization is a big piece of what we do, but it is not what it's not what the company is, and and it's kind of interesting. I do get frustrated sometimes when people are like, "Oh, you guys are Stabby, you're you're a Ron company." Um, we're much more than that, right? And so we built all of our own technology. Uh, our e-sign is our own e-sign. We built that from the ground up. Um, we've built and designed workflows for lenders. So we operate across all the segments of and life cycles of mortgage lending. So we don't just do origination. Actually, we started in mortgage servicing. So these are modifications for, for homeowners that are um, that are in hardship. Um, we provide tools for lenders to, to do uh, non-retention, uh, foreclosure, uh, affidavits, and things like that online with built-in quality control. And so what Stavi really is, it's, it's, a, um, it's a platform that provides workflows um, in the lending space. And so we, you know, there's a pretty robust eligibility engine that tells you whether you can and cannot do something digitally in a particular state down to the county level. Um, and, uh, and what we really are excited about is, you know, we're building experiences. Um, we help lenders um, leverage technology to build better experiences for their consumers and customers um, so that they can, you know, do transactions, whether it's fully online or hybrid or even in person um, using iPad technology. Um, but leveraging all of these tools that create more efficiency, better chain of custody, better security, um, you know, better experience and the like. So I want to close by asking you, beyond adoption, how do you see the digital space continuing to evolve when it comes to mortgage originations and, and servicing? What, how do we keep advancing? Where does it go? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean... Obviously, as you as you nailed it, adoption is is paramount. But I think you know we're we're moving into a world where, um, and you know we're talking now after we've seen several banks collapse, um, which is obviously really scary. And you're you're dealing with some really scary statistics now. The 
the vast percentage of deposits in this country belong to a very small handful of banks now. And, uh, and so it really begs the question, you know, how does technology like Stavi and how does innovation in, in this space close the gap between these really large financial institutions um, that makes it really hard for them as much as they would love to deliver a really bespoke and hands-on experience to their customers for customer service becomes really difficult. Right. You know, you're dealing with a lot of consumers and uh, they all have very specific questions and needs. And so I think, you know, what we're starting to see um, is technology really starting to power um, brick and mortarless operations and an expansion of the brick and mortar operations so that you can interact with the cust- customer service. Um, or if, in fact, you know, a loan is, in, is, is behind and you need to talk to your servicing team. Um, you can do it with confidence, knowing that you can do it at any time. You can do it from the you know, comfort of your home. You can sign documents remotely. Um, you can create you know, transparency so that consumers really understand the transactions that they're entering into. And so I think despite what's happening in the public markets and how, you know, how, how, how poorly uh, financial stocks have taken a beating over the last you know, year, year or two, uh, I actually think that the future for fintech is really bright. Uh, because fintech has the ability to really close the gap between what customers need, experiences that are, are ideal experiences for consumers, but also leverage some of the larger institutions um, and various institutions, right? You may want to now bank with one, more than one institution. So what does that connective tissue look like for a particular um, for a particular consumer? And so I think the future um, the future is bright. There's a tremendous uh, there's a lot of opportunity to create different products, especially with, you know, rate volatility where it is. How do we create products that allow people to um, to leverage uh, equity in their homes and be able to buy? How do we use these tools to prevent fraud, to prevent, you know, bad actors from coming into the space? How do we make it so that consumers really understand the financial transactions that they're entering into? Um, and technology and, and fintech has the ability to close a lot of these gaps, um, whether it be accessibility, um, you know, there's, there's ESG components associated to going digital. Right? You're removing carbon elements, uh, the impact on you know, carbon footprint with all of these FedExes and UPSs being moved around. You know where documents or, or, or data sets are at any given time as opposed to, you know, out, out in the ether. And so um, I think that we're starting to we're starting to really see um, the beginning of um, of a transformation in the space where the digital tools uh, may lead with experience and, you know, customer experience. But the reality is behind the scenes, there's just so much more uh, value being created for all the stakeholders. Very well said. I want to wish you the best of luck uh, on your journey here. And, and I'm very, the interviews like these make me very excited because ultimately it's going to make for a much better borrower experience and people are going to be happier when they get a mortgage. It's not going to be like going to the dentist and getting your teeth pulled or something like that. And so the it really does put a smile on my face and you can, you can see that since we're on video here. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. Appreciate it. Yeah, Robbie, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan. For those watching rate sheets, the trend of lower prices due to large supply and thus increasing rates continued on Wednesday, despite healthy account demand and takedown. The moves have been largely due to the largest outright MBS bid wanted in competition, or BWIC, a formal request for bids on a package of securities submitted by an institutional investor to a number of securities dealers, on record, and the fourth largest corporate bond issuance of all time. As far as economic releases of interest to the mortgage sector, 
The new residential construction report from the Census Bureau showed that single-family housing starts rose 1.6% in April to a seasonally adjusted annualized rate of 846,000, though March's figure was revised downward by almost 30,000 units. Housing starts rose 2.2% month-over-month in April to a 1.4 million unit pace, including single-family starts up 1.6% month-over-month due to a strong 59.5% increase in the West. Before we get ahead of ourselves, single-family starts declined in all other regions, and the headline figure is down 22% from a year ago, though home building does appear to be perking up a bit. Building permits fell 1.5% month-over-month and 21% year-over-year to an annual rate of 1.416 million, The multifamily permits declined during the month suggest development is pulling back alongside cooling apartment market conditions. The weakness in permits was driven by a 9.7% decline for permits for five units or more. The steady upward trend in permits since January is consistent with the tight inventory of existing homes pushing buyers toward the new home market. Additionally, public builders have been more optimistic than earlier in the year, and the NHB Housing Market Index rose five points in May to return to a neutral outlook of 50 for the first time since July of 2022. Initial jobless claims came in at 242,000, less than expected, and 1.799 million continuing claims were registered this week. Philadelphia Fed Manufacturing was in at negative 10.4, and those two releases kicked off today's calendar. Later this morning brings existing home sales, expected at 4.28 million versus 4.44 million previously, before leading indicators in April, a Treasury auction of $15 billion of reopened 10-year tips, and a laundry list of Fed speakers. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse an eighth to a quarter from Wednesday, the 10-year yielding 3.62 after closing yesterday at 3.58%, and the two-year up to 4.21 after the continued strong employment data. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping, or part four or five of NYC Knowledge. NYC restaurants are graded on a letter scale. You're looking for an A in the window, and anything else is kind of caveat emptor. Don't eat in Times Square, it's gross. Midtown sidewalks are super highways. You wouldn't stop abruptly on the highway. Don't do it on the sidewalks here. Locals will run into you on purpose and blame you for jamming the brakes at full speed and heavy traffic. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit richiemay.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.